some of God's word in First John chapter two. Um, let me get to it myself. We're going to be looking at verses twelve through fourteen. Should have probably been turning there while I was talking, but Brother Mike shared with me I had to be careful there was only eight hours of battery in this uh, uh, microphone, so I had to be a little careful and not waste too much time. But we'll look in, uh, starting in, like I said, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. The John the Apostle, like I said, uh, probably at this time of life, uh, you know, Somewhere in the 80s, 90 years old man, uh, apostle for, uh, um, for probably close to 60 years, uh, been in the ministry and he, he writes these words of encouragement. He goes, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I run it right unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Um, as we look at these scriptures, you know, God has a family. And every person who is born again uh, becomes a child of God, and and God thinks of us as His child, and that's a that's a glorious thing to think about. I mean, God, all of everything else in heaven, or everything else in the universe, is a creation of God, or a servant to God. But God looks at us as children if we've accepted His Son Jesus as Savior. And, uh, you know, there's just a whole lot of difference in uh, position over a servant to a child. Amen. You know, uh, a child's got, the servants are working the fields, doing all the different things like that. And they're building our inheritance if we're one of the childs of the father who owns all that. And, and so our position is just a, a re- remarkable thing. And the, the neat thing is, you know, God is the perfect father. And there's a lot of us fathers who try hard, but we're nowhere near being perfect. But one thing that a father that is trying hard does is he takes responsibility for his children. He takes on the obligations of a father. And so God the Father, being the perfect father, when he adopts us into his family by accepting his son Jesus, he takes responsibility for us. David said he's never seen the saints of God begging bread. And he promises to never leave us, never forsake us. There's just so many promises that are made to us. And we've got a heavenly father who has the power to speak and worlds come into existence. Now, like I said, there isn't anything that's going to come into our life that God can't answer. Now, his perfect will for our life may be that the answer may be no, because, and there's a good reason for it, because God's good and there can't, God will never do anything that isn't good. But the thing is, the realization that we're his child 
And because we're his child, he takes upon himself the responsibility of the care for his children. Um, this family is, you know, what John is, has in mind in these verses. And he divides the family into three groups. Each represents a different degree of spiritual maturity. He talks about fathers, young men, and children. They're all in the family, but he, but he speaks, uh, excuse me a second. They're all in the family, but uh, all are at different levels of maturity. You know, before we begin going into this too much, I need to uh, share with you the there's a distinguishing use of Greek words here in the translation. There, both words are translated "little children," and in verses one and twelve, John's words means "born ones" when he uses the phrase "little children." In, that's in verses one and twelve, and it basically just means you're saved. Um, in verses 13 and 18, the word means infant. And basically what he's talking about is a spiritually immature Christian, a new babe in Christ, hopefully. Uh, but there's a lot of immature Christians who've been saved for quite a while, but that's not God's fault. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, when he starts off by addressing in uh, verse 12, he's using that phrase of born ones. And so what he's saying, your sins are forgiven. We look in verse 12, and it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Think about what that means. I mean, you know, all of our sins washed away. God promises to never remember them again. Uh, if you hear me teach very often, you hear me say that a lot. But I tell you what, I just don't think we understand what that means. A perfect, holy God looking at us who are far from it. In fact, he says our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, I thought the other day, have you ever known people to get upset about something? I mean, somehow I got offended, somehow my pride got bent or whatever. And I've been there. I've, I've felt offended. But then I get to thinking, if I think correctly, what am I? I'm a filthy rag. How do you insult a filthy rag? Uh, you know, you're a big, fat, filthy rag. I mean, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, when you're a filthy rag, you're a filthy rag. You know, so where where does this come from? This deal of my pride getting bent. Is it not just pride and vanity? Because God says our righteousness, in other words, your best efforts on your best days. Or as filthy rags. And boy, that blows a big hole in those churches that try to teach that you can work your way to heaven. But God loved us so much that he saved us anyway. He's washed our sins away. He chooses to never remember them again. You'll never give an answer for one of your sins. If you had to give an answer for just one of them, it would send you to hell. In God's judicial looking at our sins. Our sins were paid for on the cross of Calvary. We accept Jesus Christ, the debt's been paid. We are one of God's kids. Now, if we're a rebellious child, God will take us to the woodshed, and he'll, he'll deal with us that way. But he, it, it's not a matter of are you a child or not. 
you know, uh, these people that, like I said, teach that you can lose your salvation. What happens when the Yahoo pulls out and he's going to T-bone you and you see it at the last moment and your last thought isn't necessarily sweet toward that individual? You know, did that just undo everything? You know, uh, and if you got to work your way to heaven, how long have you got to work? How much is enough? Luckily, it's all by grace. It's all God's gift for us. And so when he talks about here in the beginning, he says, again in this verse, he says, I write unto you little children, born ones, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, because of the love of Jesus Christ. Um, Let me turn a page here. Then he goes in in verse 13, he starts talking about the different spiritual maturities. And he writes in verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. But we're going to look at the beginning here where it says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. You know, fathers, basically, he's talking about mature believers, and twice he uses that phrase, because you have known him from the beginning. That word known that he's using there, that you know, have known him from the beginning, is talking about knowing things about God through experience. And let me share something with you. There is no way for your faith to grow unless you go walk to walk with God. You've got to walk through life and let him try your faith. And let me ask you a question. If it's trying your faith, what, what, what is, whatever that situation is, what is it doing? Well, it's increasing your faith, but what did it, have, what did it do first? It scares you, don't it? If it don't scare you, how does it test your faith? I mean, you know, a million dollars hits my bank account. That don't test my faith too much. I'm doing a hallelujah deal and stuff, but it don't test my faith. But when the bank account is zero and there's a stack of bills over here, that that scares you. And you have to live by faith on how, how we're going to work through this. You get a bad report from the, you go in, the doctor tells you you got perfect health. Doesn't test your faith. Doctor says we need to do some more tests. We saw something here we're not real sure about. That tests your faith. It scares you. But when you walk by faith, in other words, you don't act out of character as a Christian. That's all really walking by faith is, is you continue doing the things you know God would have you to do. You're, you're, so there's something out there. It's scaring you. You got to turn it over to the Lord, and you don't cut and run, and you don't act out of character as a Christian. You continue to do your responsibilities and leave it to God. What does that allow God to do? It allows Him to prove how faithful He is. It doesn't have anything really to do with your faithfulness. All you're doing is setting the stage for God to be able to prove to you how faithful He is. But if you cut and run, or if you act out of character, or if you do different things that you shouldn't be doing, God says, got to back off, let you, you know, say, okay, I had a plan for this. Looks like you think you got a better plan. I'll let you work your plan until you get so frustrated with it that you come back to me and you've wasted all that time, all the pain, all the anguish. You've just thrown it all away. 
And then when you get back and you humble yourself before your God and you allow him to move you ahead, then all of a sudden he gets to prove to you how faithful he is. And so the mature Christian is a person who has gone through these steps and allowed God to prove himself to you. And so you know him from the beginning, it talks about. What do you know? You know that he's faithful. But the only way you know he's faithful is because he's put you into a challenging situation. And you've allowed him by walking the walk that you should walk, do the things you should do, turn it over to the Lord, and you've allowed the Lord to prove to you how faithful he is. Now, it also talks about that... um, You know, the the thing that we see here is uh, about fathers. When you think of the word father, the first thing you think of also is that he's got children. And that's one of the things also the mature Christian will do is he'll be busy trying to win people to Christ. He'll be trying to influence people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so the thing is, go with me if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be coming back here, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul writing to the church there, and he says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have you not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel. What he's basically saying there, you may have 10,000 teachers that come along and help build your faith and help you grow in the Lord, but there was probably one individual that brought you to the saving knowledge of Christ. God the Holy Spirit convicted you. The Word of God is what was used to show you your need of Christ. But more than likely, there was one individual. It could have been a preacher. It could have been a teacher. It could have been your parent. It could have been a friend. But somebody had the privilege of leading you to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so the thing is, you only have one father in the gospel. There's God the Father. He, God saves you. Jesus Christ paid the price for you. But he used probably a human instrument to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we all should mature into. You you have denied yourself a tremendous privilege if you've never led anyone to the Lord yet. There's Other than your own personal salvation or seeing the salvation of your own dear loved ones, your children or whatever, if you have not yet studied the scriptures enough, prayed about it, tried to reach out, tried to... It's like fishing. You've got to cast a lot of time sometimes before you catch one. But the thing is, you need to be busy about doing it. But that great privilege of being the person that got to lead someone to the Lord and then to see it take. There's a lot of people who I've seen walk this aisle, join the church, and then you never see them again. You know, and I don't understand that. Uh, but then again, there's some that it takes and their life changes and they get involved And there is just no greater feeling to know that you had a part. God used you to have a part in them coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. The next section we look at is he talks about young men. 
And first he talks about their strength. He says in verse 14, let's go back to 1 John, that'll help. First John chapter 2 and verse 14. I've written unto you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I, write unto, I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome that wicked one. Now, he uses that phrase, you are strong. And, uh, you know, a child, when you think of a child, they're probably the best characteristic of a child is they're emotional. Would you agree with me? How many times have you ever seen five-year-olds just fighting it out, and then ten minutes later they're playing? You know, uh, you know they're they're driven by emotions to a degree. And then you think of older people, and a lot of times they're they're identified with wisdom. Hopefully, life's taught them a few things. Uh, and but a young person, uh, you know, young men are you know kind of known for their strength. It doesn't really imply that they're they're more strong, but it's one of their chief characteristics. And then the key is, by becoming strong in the faith, what they've done is they've become to a point where they're useful to the church. They're useful to the ministries of God. And um, But the, the supply of their strength is what we really need to look at. And there, in verse 14, it also tells us, he says, uh, I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God ab- abideth in you. Um, abide means to reside or to come to live, and it's the key to their success. You'll never have victory over the devil in your life, because when you get saved, you become a new creature in Christ, but the vestiges of the old spirit is still there, the vestiges of the old nature is still there. The, the things that you used to like, your the spirit will tell you to stay away from them. Your body will say, let's go try some of that again. And you're going to have to decide which one you're going to give in to. And it really comes down to the matter of which one do you feed. Uh, the more you feed yourself on the word of God, the more to God the Holy Spirit has the chance to encourage you to stay away from that. And you can change and become a new creature in Christ. You, you've already got the new nature. It's available, but you can certainly walk away from it as far as going back into the world. It'll cost you highly, uh, and you don't want to do it. But uh, here, as far as a maturing Christian, not a mature Christian yet, but maturing, their supply is because the word of God abideth in them, and it's the key to their success. Jerry Vines said, what you need to do is to begin a soul-building program. You need to stretch your spiritual muscles by daily reading the Word of God. If you have to miss anything in the morning, miss your breakfast, but not your Bible. Uh, Job said basically the same thing when he said in uh, Job 23, verse 12, he said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Um, you'll never mature as a Christian and leave the Bible out of your life. It, it'll just never happen. It, it, you just can't will it. It just happens because you allow God, the Holy Spirit. You'll be tempted to do something, and a verse will come to your heart, 
and it'll give you the strength to say no. Their success that we see here he talks about is you have overcome the wicked one. In other words, they're living a victorious life. They're being tempted, but they're being able to say no for the first time. You know, our pastor has said, and I can't remember the exact verse that he quotes, but he talks about that Satan can take a lost person captive at his will. They really don't have the ability to say no if he chooses to lead them into something. Once we're saved, we have the ability to say no. We just have to decide to say no. The trouble is, Satan has been busy for thousands of years messing with the human race. We've got a certain lifetime of experiences of pitfalls and temptations and things that we easily fall into. And little by little, we're learning these things about how to defend ourselves. But Satan's been busy for a long time knowing how to mess with us. And so trying to do it in your own strength is a guaranteed plan of failure. But doing what God says and doing it God's way allows God to put that protective hedge that Job, that Satan talked about in the book of Job, that why does Job prosper and why does Job obey you? Because you put a hedge around him and I can't get in there. Well, why can't you get in there? Well, because Job was already trying to live for God. God didn't need to discipline Job. God didn't need to try to tune up Job because Job was trying real hard, to the best of his knowledge, to live for God already. And uh, so there was a protective hedge around it. A young baby Christian, God will put a hedge around that baby Christian. He loves you. He sent Jesus to the cross for you. And Jesus was willing to go for you. And so if you're trying to live for Christ, God's going to protect you. Doesn't mean you'll be, but you got the old nature still. You don't, it's the vestiges of it. And what we're bad about is jumping over the hedge uh, and going and getting ourselves in trouble. And, but he tells us that uh, the victorious life is because of the word of God. He talks about the wicked one and that word there, the Greek word wicked is the same, the translation of it is the same word we get our modern word for pornography from. It also means Evil in active opposition to good. It speaks of one who seeks to drag everyone else down with him. And that is an active description of Satan. He wants to drag everyone else down with him. And how do you overcome it? You overcome it by the word of God and allow it to have the influence. Um, we have everything we need to live victoriously. We have God, the Holy Spirit. Once you get saved in your heart to help you be able to discern what the word of God means. And then God, the Holy Spirit, has the ability to bring to mind those things. Let me ask you this. How many of you can remember before you got saved and some of the nonsense that you read or you saw on TV or different things like that? Is Satan able to bring that to your memory at times and use it to try to tempt you into doing something or have bad thoughts or bring up things that should have been let go a long time ago where people hurt you, different things like that, and you should have let them go a long time ago and you thought you had to let them go, and then Satan has a way of dragging them back up. I don't think I'm the only one there. Uh, the thing is, God the Holy Spirit has the same ability to bring a verse to mind. But the thing is, he can't just put it in there you've got to have read it first 
you've got to put it in your heart and then let him be able to draw it to the forefront of your mind to help you have the victory when the time comes. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Uh, when we think about uh, when Jesus was uh, uh, tempted by Satan, the way he defeated Satan was by the word of God. Every time Satan brought something up to tempt him, he had an answer for him, and the answer was the word of God. And then we come to the last category, and it's the little children. In this case, he's talking about immature believers, young babes in Christ. Um, he said, all he says about them is, you have known the Father. Uh, they began, you know, they've gotten saved. They're, they're complete. Do you realize that the very moment you get saved, you're just as much a citizen of heaven as you'll ever be? You're not working your way there. You don't have anything else you've got to accomplish. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're going to go to heaven one day. It, it's just a done deal. God thinks of you as already being there. I mean, it's over with. It's a done deal. You're saved. But now comes the point of being, are you going to be useful to your Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you going to be a blessing? Well, you've got to be sensitive. You've got to be able to maybe teach. You've got to be an encourager. You've got to be a friend. How are you going to know how to interact and say the right things at the right time? How many of us really got that skill set? I mean, we don't. Sometimes I have no clue what some of you guys are going through. But God the Holy Spirit can just enlighten you to be a friend at a certain time. Just a kind word. This interaction. Just, you, you never know what, you know, we'll be in heaven and be in eternity before we know all the things we did well and all the things we did poorly. The things that we said that we didn't even realize hurt someone's feelings and uh, and then there's other times we don't know when we were great encouragers. And But the thing is, we can sure help ourselves in one area by being more sensitive if we're prayed up, if we've been in the Word of God. But when you're saved, the very moment you get saved, you're complete. You're, but you're underdeveloped, you're undeveloped, you're inexperienced. This doesn't necessarily mean that a, a young uh, babe in Christ is anything but what they ought to be. The day they get saved, they don't know the whole Bible. And guess what? We need, as older Christians, need to cut them some slack. I remember a brother who didn't get saved till he was about 35, and he was as rough as a cob. He was from the hills of West Virginia, used to run around drinking and everything like that. He was just as rough as he could be, and he got saved. And he was a pretty good mechanic. I'm talking about Richard Belt, you know, someone we know from Ohio. My daughter knows and Lisa. Well, as soon as he got saved, he wanted to do something for the Lord. But he didn't, you know, he didn't know how to teach or anything like that. But he saw their old buses that they had out there that they ran around and picked up the kids. And so he started showing up on Saturday and getting out there underneath the hood. And he's working away on the car and everything like that. Trouble is, he had a big old cut of skull here. And had the can rolled up under his sleeve over here and stuff like that. And he said his pastor was so kind on reflection, his pastor never once said anything about it. You know, here he is representing the church. He's under the hood of the church and he's just working away and stuff like that. Guess what? He's a brand new babe in Christ and God needs to work on him, you know. And little by little, the Lord did work on him. 
But here's a brand new babe in Christ wanting to do something for God, and what he knew to do was work on engines. And he was busy doing what God uh, told him to do, and he was doing it with just a love in his heart to be able to serve his Lord that saved his soul, and yet had some bad habits that the Lord needed to work on him yet. And eventually, somewhere along the line, he said he heard a message, and he realized that's probably not the best testimony. It's a little hard to talk to someone about getting saved when you got a big old cut over here and you're spitting in the can and, you know, stuff like that, you know. So, uh, you know, little by little, the Lord revealed to him, maybe this isn't something that I ought to be doing. But guess what? Do you think, what do you think it would have done to him if someone had criticized him the first few weeks? You know, he didn't know no better. He loved the Lord. He wanted to do something for the Lord. He's underneath the hood of that bus and he's a working. And he's just joining in, in his heart that he's doing something for his Lord. So we need to realize that babes in Christ need some time to mature into what God wants them to be. But the thing is, it's also not right for a babe to stay there. You know, if you have a little baby and they're born and they're six, seven pounds, that's great. Six months later, you don't want them to be eight or nine pounds. You know, there's something really wrong there when they're not growing right. And so the thing is, that's the same thing that's true in a Christian life. We need to see maturity. Um, and it comes basically, again, by spending time in the Word of God. There is just no other tool that will do the job. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. For your ability to handle situations right, when it comes to dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, dealing with people on the job, just dealing with stress in life, it's all going to come down to doing it God's way if it's going to work out well for you. But how do you know God's way if you don't hear preaching and teaching and get into the Word of God yourself and then allow God the Holy Spirit to take those words and help you walk the life? The thing is, doesn't, you know, pastor's got a little note here that I, in my notes that I'm using, it goes, um, growth doesn't come as a result of trying. It happens because of we, that we appropriate those things that God have, has provided. In other words, there's promises in here and we claim them. There's guidance in here about how to handle situations. How are we supposed to overcome evil? You know, we're good. Now, I know the code of the West is do unto them before they get a chance to do it unto you. But, you know, that's not God's way, and he can't bless that. But when someone does you dirty, what's the first thought that comes to your mind, you know? Uh, you know, someone's, you know, mistreating you a little bit, go fishing, go out there, pop their hubcaps off, stuff their hubcaps with dead fish, you know, and let them find them, you know? <laughs> You know, there's just all sorts of things you can do, you know, if you want to do it in the flesh. Um, but, you know, God has a hard time blessing that, you know. Uh, so the thing is, we need to do it the Lord's way. But so we appropriate those things that God has provided. And it is often a, a slow process and not always even noticeable to us. We don't even realize that we're maturing. It's just, it, it you know. You, you you get you know saved. You get into church. You're doing different things in the church, coming attending services, and all of a sudden, 
out of the blue, the Sunday school superintendent or something comes up to you and thinks that you ought to think about teaching a class. And you never even dream. But he saw something in you that you didn't even see in yourself. And it's what God's doing through your heart. He's maturing you. And opportunities come your way to serve. We ought to always be trying to become that father in the faith, that mature Christian, so that we can be there for the babes in Christ, so that we can also lead them to the saving knowledge of Christ. I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. But, John, 